This is a Broad Pods production. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Broad Radio Coast Trek Collection. Keeping you company while you train. Hi there, Coast Trekkers. It's Joe Stanley here, Coast Trek Ambassador and founder of Broad Radio, Radio for Women by Women. I've loved all the tips and advice Coast Trek have shared with us as I've trained for the Melbourne event, and we hope these podcast episodes have also spurred you along in your training. This episode brings you more advice, this time on menopause. Yes, many of us taking part are of a similar age. So here's Dr. Rosie Worsley, expert in women's health, as she demystifies menopause and all the myriad of symptoms that come with it. My co-host in this interview is Shelley Ware. Dr. Rosie Worsley joins us via Jean Hales for Women's Health. We do thank them for their assistance in uh, giving us access to you, Rosie. You're an endocrinologist and a specialist in women's health. So I guess my first question to you, Rosie, is... I don't know. All right. So there's been so many. I don't even know where to begin. So what symptoms do we experience when we're in perimenopause? Because I reckon one of the biggest issues is for women and we don't even know when it's coming upon us. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jo. Um, It's great to be here. And it's really great to be doing shows like this because it really is something that we don't talk about enough and something that we a lot of women don't know about and they don't expect it and they also get a bit of a shock when it comes on and they, they're not really sure what to expect because it can be a whole range of different things um, and the typical one you think about is hot flushes and night sweats but it can be a whole lot of other symptoms as well and sometimes those symptoms might start before they're getting hot flushes or sometimes they're getting hot flushes but they're not sure if the other symptoms are related. So basically pick any part of your body and menopause will affect that. Mm. So it's not just hot flushes and night sweats. It might be things like feeling irritable. So it's kind of like a super PMS that some people get. They might have um, aches and pains. They might have things like vaginal dryness. There's a whole lot of things that, that can go on. Um Um, fatigue of course is the other really big one and sleep disturbance so basically pretty much anything can be related to menopause and that's why it can be uh, a bit of a shock when it happens and why it can be difficult always to work out what's going on. So can you just explain to us what perimenopause is and menopause what's the difference? Mm. So the word menopause technically means the actual last period that you have but you don't really know it's your last period until you haven't had a period for a year so perimenopause is the term that describes the year before your last period and the year after your last period and that time frame is when symptoms tend to be the worst and often when they start as well um, so it's really that sort of two-year menopause transition is the other term that's used But it does feel like it goes on forever. Like when would you expect perimenopause to begin 
and for full-blown menopause <laughs> to sort of be, to arrive. I mean, it just feels like it just is an endless blamange of experience. Yeah, it, it's very individual. So the average age of onset of perimenopause is about 47. And perimenopause is defined as basically when your periods start varying by a week or more. Um, and then the average age of your final period is 51. Oh. Um, but the average length of duration of hot flashes is seven years. Oh, so geez. we're talking about a long process. And for some women, they're still flushing well into their 70s. So it's for some women, it's short. They don't really get symptoms. For other women, it's just sort of this prolonged ongoing process. Um, so it, it, it's very individual. We don't really have any good tests that will tell you, oh, you know, your last period's coming up this year. You know, there's, there's nothing to guide you that way. Often the best guide is what happened to your mother. But if mm. you don't know what happened to your mother, that's a bit of an issue. Oh, it's a bit of a mixed bag in our house. My grandmother was 40 and I think my mum was about 50. And then I went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, you're years away from it. And then they got the nice, oh, don't worry, you won't get any wrinkles. So I, I've got no gauge on that. I, when it's going to happen, makes it quite difficult. Is it true that if you still have lots of eggs that menopause is a long way away? Um, generally speaking, um, so if you've got, you mean on an ultrasound scan, if they can see a lot of follicles on an ultrasound scan, then, you know, generally you would, you would expect that menopause is a ways off, but that's not 100% either. So there's not been any particular test that's been entirely predictive of when your last period's going to happen. So you mentioned every part of our body is affected uh, and we've got lots of questions from you know, people on Facebook and we're going to have a caller join us in just a moment who has a question as well. Um, uh, I suppose people want to know how to help themselves. Um, and one of, the, one of the insights I've had through all of the comments we've had on Facebook is that people, women, go to their GPs and to doctors and ask questions and they get dismissed. They get uh, a really unhelpful response usually. Um, Tony says there's a lack of empathy, understanding, definitive answers, and, and most doctors just, you know, don't really care. Do you think that's a common experience? And, and what do we do then? Who do we go to seek help from? Oh, look, I think it is unfortunately a common experience. And I think it's because, you know, medicine reflects the rest of society. So if we undervalue women and women's experience, then what are we going to expect out of our medical system or our health system as well? Um, luckily, there are quite a few uh, really good resources. So Jean Hales has a really good website. And the other very good resource is the um, Australasian Menopause Society at menopause.org.au. So if you go on there, there's lots and lots of information, but there's also a find a doctor function. Um, and that will include um, a list of doctors who, who specialise in this area and who understand women's health. So Dr Rosie, what treatments and therapies are actually available to women? Look, there's a whole range of options. For some people, they don't need treatment, they need an explanation. And if they know what's going on, then they can manage it. And it's, it's the, sometimes it's the uncertainty of, well, why is this happening? Am I going crazy? And once you can say, oh, look, it's, it's your hormones, um, then, you know, they, they feel comfortable with that. Um, some people will... Um, be able to, you know, use techniques like some lifestyle change, so making sure they're getting plenty of rest and enough sleep and doing some exercise and some relaxation, that kind of thing, all the usual. For other people, they might try some natural type therapies and some of those herbal remedies do seem to help. For people who 
who that doesn't work, then um, hormone replacement therapy or menopausal hormone therapy is the other term, um, is extremely effective. Um, and it's very safe for most women, but again, it depends on your individual circumstance. So that leads me to some more specific questions from uh, some of our, our listeners on social media. Um, Naomi puts it this way. She would like accurate science-based factual information on it's called MHT now, isn't it? Not HRT. But actual science-based information, because I think the problem around that conversation is you hear a lot of scary things and you don't know if you what to believe. Yeah, it's been one of the major issues with um, menopausal hormone therapy, um, not only for consumers and patients, but also for doctors as well. So in 2002, there was a very large study published that showed a link between hormone therapy and breast cancer. And that basically scared you know the SHIT out of all the doctors <laughs> we don't um, care about language of, here we're all then you had a whole generation of doctors who didn't get taught how to do hormone therapy um so the the evidence now is is much better but it, there's been so many studies so many analyses and reanalyses it's very confusing even for doctors um, and so you do need to go to sort of the expert places to get a real distillation of what's available. And I think the, the Menopause Society has very good fact sheets, both for medical people and also for um, patients. Um, and Jean Hales has, has really good information as well. And all of that is, um, you know, scientifically based and accurate. Um, and I think the other thing is so much of the health information on the internet is geared towards selling new products. So you have to be very discerning about what information you look at online. So, but just just to clarify, if I'm going to be taking MHT, it's not going to give me cancer. I don't think we can say there's no link. You know, there, there is a link between MHT and cancer, um, between MHT and breast cancer. So we still have to go by the old stats, which is that um, MHT, five years of continuous use of MHT will increase your um, baseline risk of breast cancer by about 30%. Mm. So if your five-year risk of breast cancer is, say, 6%, it might go up to 8%. Now, that's after five years of risk. We know that one year of use has no effect, and then between one and four years, well, some studies say there's no risk, some studies say there is. The stats are based on the old forms of um, HRT, on the randomised control trials of the older synthetic forms of HRT. We've now got more modern HRT, which is, um, we think, a lot lower risk, um, but we don't have the huge scale studies to say that. We've got large observational studies, which show that they do seem to be safer, but they're not randomised control trials, so um, they're not considered as high quality evidence. So they cer you certainly do have to weigh up risks and benefits and it depends on your individual risks for things like breast cancer. And then you've got to weigh it against the benefits. So what's the benefits to you for your symptoms? And the fact that it will reduce things like the risk of osteoporotic fractures, the risk of colon cancer, the risk of endometrial cancer. So some in some cases, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. Um, and when you look at, it's a very gross measurement, when you look at mortality outcomes for HRT, there's basically no difference. So it's very much an individual scenario, which is why it's not a straightforward issue and why it takes a lot of time. And the system, our current system is not really set up, um, you know, to allow people to go to 
someone who knows about HRT and spend 45 minutes discussing their individual risk profile. Which is, uh, well, we might get to that question in just a moment, yes. but firstly, we have got a caller on the line. Linda is here and this is, I'm testing my multi Multitasking. <laughs> you see, I've got brain fog and I lose words all the time, Rosie. I'm going to say, I'm going to pick up the phone here and we're going to say, good morning, Linda, how are you? Good morning, Jo. I'm well, thank you. Thanks for joining us on Broad Radio. You've got a question for Dr. Rosie. I have, yes. Um, I would like to know, um, I'm using, um, I'm trying to use as many natural remedies as I can to help alleviate some of the I guess, symptoms of um, perimenopause. What I'd like, and I'm using, um, like I have a herbal tea every day of lemongrass and ginger to help with the hot flushes, which does help, and I go for a walk every day. Um, but what I'd like some help with is uh, migraines or severe headaches um, and just brain fog. I really struggle with that, and it happens a lot. Yeah, that's a really good question because they're very common symptoms. So a lot of women don't realise that migraine in particular is very common with perimenopause and menopause um, and that, you know, often women have had menstrual migraine when they were younger. Sometimes they've not had migraine at all. And then essentially the changing hormone levels act as a trigger to migraine. So if you're trying to use sort of non-pharmacological treatments, often a bit of magnesium is actually quite helpful. So a high dose magnesium supplement does have some evidence of benefit for menstrual migraine. Um, so I would look at that. Migraine can be very debilitating though. So I think if that's not working and you're not identifying other triggers that you can easily get rid of, um, if you can either go down the hormone therapy approach, which is very good for migraine around menopause, or you can look at medications that actually treat and prevent migraine. So you've got drugs that you can take at the time of the migraine. So mm -hmm. um, these are things like wafers or nasal sprays, which can um, basically cut the migraine short. So if you're already treating your migraine with say Panadol and aspirin and that's not working, you can use these other types of medications. And then there are other non-hormonal medications that you can take every day to prevent migraine. I think it's certainly worth treating migraine fairly aggressively in terms of preventing it because, you know, migraine is, apart from being debilitating, um, often it's a fairly prolonged experience as well in that you might have what we call a prodrome, so you can feel unwell for quite a while before the actual headache hits. And then people seem to have this hangover afterwards. And all of that seems to really make the brain fog associated with menopause a lot worse as well. And brain fog can be part of that kind of hangover from the migraine. So I would think if you can get on top of the migraine, that may well help with the brain fog. You may find okay. the magnesium helps a bit with brain fog as well. Um, and then really the things that help with brain fog, apart from getting adequate sleep and, and um, cutting down your alcohol and things like that, um, estrogen therapy basically helps brain fog. So Linda, can you describe the brain fog for us? Because it's such a vague term. And mm. it's, again, one of those symptoms that you go, well, I'm, I might just be someone who is struggling to concentrate today. How do you describe the brain fog? Um, for me, it's just I can just be um, in a meeting or in the middle of a conversation and I completely lose all train of thought. Um, I, use, I lose the words that I was going to, to use. Um, it's really awful because you just sort of 
they're like a deer caught in the headlights and you're thinking, oh, these people must think I'm a complete idiot. But, um, and it's really horrible. I was talking to a girlfriend the other day and I just stopped and she said, are you okay? And I said, I've forgotten what I was about to say to you. And we, we laughed about it, but I'm thinking, well, in a meeting, that's not exactly mm. um, productive. No. But, um, yeah, so it's just awful. I think too. I mean, this is where all of that kind of um, that old tired trope of women being crazy, particularly older women and being a little bit, you know, oh, you're losing your marbles and all that sort of stuff. That's, I suppose, where it comes from. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, yeah. I think people just think, you know, oh, she's not concentrating or she's not prepared or and it's not that at all. I've got notes. I've got, you know, to prompt me, to remind me of the things that I'm going to ask in that meeting. But it's just really awful. So luckily, most people have been very understanding, but it really is a horrible feeling. Mm. So oestrogen, you say, Rosie? Yeah, oestrogen often is very effective. And I think it's a real problem. Some people have very debilitating brain fog and it usually goes along with other symptoms as well. So it's not uncommon for me to see women who've either had given up working or cut down their hours very substantially. So it's a really awful thing because, you know, um, late 40s, early 50s is when careers are often starting to take off. But And it can really just sort of knock their career out completely. So... Um, you know, for people that are really struggling with it, I, I tend to just recommend HRT. Um, I think the other thing is that often when people do have these symptoms, it's then very hard to not let anxiety about the symptom get out of control as well. Oh, wow. Mm. Well, Linda, we're thinking of you. You're not alone, okay? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on Broad Radio. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So, Shelley, you had a really important question around heart health. Yes, I know that it affects our bone and our heart health. How do we prevent any effects on our bones and heart? So we know that after menopause, so basically within that first year after your last period, you start losing bone density straight away. I mean, really with bones, you hit your best bone density at 25 and then it's all downhill from there. But after menopause, it gets worse um, and you get these sudden drops. So what oestrogen does is it helps maintain your bone density. Um, And then once you stop HRT, you will find that the bone density decreases from then but you've delayed the point at which your bone density will start to decline. In terms of your heart health, I think the evidence is less robust, but it is fairly good evidence that if you're using HRT within 10 years of your last period, that is probably beneficial for your heart. We don't use it as a way to protect you or prevent cardiovascular disease, but it's probably beneficial if anything. The main things really that um, you know are helpful for heart health are things like making sure you're not smoking, so quitting smoking if you can, you know, not having too much alcohol, eating your vegetables, doing your exercise, all of those things, getting your GP to check your blood pressure and your cholesterol and paying attention to all of those risk factors. I've got a couple of really quick questions from social media for you, Rosie. First is Tina asks how to stop the weight gain. Is that even possible? Not really. Um, (laughs) It's really difficult. (laughs) That's heartbreaking. (laughs) Yeah. Look, it's... 
There are some people who are very lucky and they don't seem to gain weight around this time, but I don't think there's many of them. I like to think of it as sort of transitioning to a more energy efficient phase of your life that you're going, you know, maybe to a nine star energy rating, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but it's very difficult and people often find they have to cut their calories a lot more than they did in the past. And what a lot of women will say to me is that, you know, all the strategies they used to use to control their weight don't seem to work anymore. Um, and they're as busy as they ever were. They're doing as much exercise. They're still working really hard. Um, they're eating the same, but the weight's going on. And yeah, there's we don't have any good solutions around that. Mm. HRT, although it can prevent that that redistribution of weight that you get at menopause, where basically fat goes to your tummy instead of your thighs, it can slow that, but it really doesn't seem to do much in terms of weight mm. overall. Um, That's so, really yeah. bad news. <laughs> but, but does it go away? Does it go away after you've actually finished your perimenopause? No, basically you're just transitioning to a lower calorie requirement phase of your life. Oh, that's... No, uh, it gets worse, basically. (laughs) (laughs) We're transitioning into having to be more controlled with what we're eating. That is no fun because when you're going through the symptoms, what you you know, all I want to eat is dark chocolate, basically. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. This is not good news. Um, Okay. Um, Kerry is asking about CBD oil. She's taking that and she finds it really helpful. Yeah, I think we don't really know, to be honest. There's no sort of studies that I'm aware of. I think CBD oil is something that's only just become available in Australia. So certainly I don't have any experience with it. Um, I've certainly had a few patients who've used it for various things and found it helpful, but we don't know one way or the other if it's any good for, say, hot flushes. Okay. And uh, Mandy is asking, she's seeing a naturopath and she wants to know if that's worthwhile to go down that path. Um, I think that there's some evidence for a few things. So we know things like black cohosh and um, red clover might have an an effect for some people, often it's short-lived, but sometimes you only need a few months of benefit. Um, I think it depends what they're looking at. So if they're just trying to sell you hundreds of dollars worth of supplements, maybe think twice about it. But a lot of naturopaths sort of focus on fairly sensible kind of um, strategies to do with sleep and exercise and getting more vegetables and things like that. And that sort of thing's always worthwhile. I don't know if you're the same, Shelley, but I do get so much advertising on social media for every single fad possible for menopause, which initially I was very offended by. <laughs> but I assume most of it is is just trying to sell us something and it's not necessarily going to work, Rosie. Yeah. That's right. It's mostly marketing. Yeah, okay. All right, a couple more questions. I was going to ask a question about if a woman has had a hysterectomy. How do they know they're going through perimenopause and menopause? Such a good question. Um, And you really don't know because the diagnosis is based on bleeding pattern. The only way you tell is through symptoms. And then when you get symptoms, you can have a blood test that can give you an indication. The difficulty with perimenopause is that the blood test sometimes will not reflect the fact that you're perimenopause. But basically, if you're over 40 and getting hot flushes, you're very likely to have perimenopause. And from Jill on Facebook, what is estrogen dominance? Um, Essentially, it's a made-up term. So it's not a medical term. It's something that is used by naturopaths and things, and it seems to refer to a variety of different things. I think often people are using it 
to describe estrogen-related symptoms. So we know things like breast tenderness um, is, is common if you've you know, if you say you're on oestrogen therapy or you're at a time in your cycle when you've got a lot of oestrogen. Um, but oestrogen dominance per se isn't a thing. Um, certainly you can have times when, um, so perimenopause is very complicated hormone-wise because it's not that your hormones are just dropping, it's that your oestrogen levels are, are going up and down, they're fluctuating quite rapidly. Um, and you can have things like double ovulation. So you certainly can have very high estrogen levels um, and then have symptoms like breast tenderness is pretty common at perimenopause. Um, and then at other times, you know, because you're not ovulating, you've actually got higher amounts of estrogen relative to progesterone compared to when you're premenopausal. Um, but I think the term estrogen dominance is, is pretty confusing because I think pe different people use it in different ways. So it, it's hard to know what they're talking about honestly mm. and it's better just to describe well what is the symptom and, and what can we do about it well i think i mean the key to this conversation is seek really great advice with an mm. expert such as yourself uh rosie there's lots of amazing endocrinologists and people who are expert in this field out there so we need to seek that and those websites were really helpful of course go to gene house for women's health but there are many comments on our Facebook at the moment around the fact that people have sought, uh, you know, help. they've sought advice and not found it. And Michelle is asking, why is there such a lack of information around from the medical profession around menopause and women's health in general? And do you find that a frustration yourself, Rosie, as someone who works for women's health? Yeah, look, I call women's health the black hole of medicine because there's just so much information missing. And where you expect to see like the dazzling stars of research, there's just nothing. Mm. Um, and there's many women's health issues that are very common that are experienced by a huge proportion of women that we know nothing about. You know, there's very little information on it. Um, so, you know, if you think it can be things like, so I do a lot of premenstrual dysphoric disorder. I mean, very little on that menopause, really quite limited options there. Think about things like pelvic instability in pregnancy. Mm. Um, basically, we know nothing about that. Do we have any treatments? How many women still have it after pregnancy? I think it's relatively common, um, but we know nothing there. So there's a huge range of things that are very common symptoms that are not sort of considered illnesses um, and that are not researched and they're not because it's thought, well, they don't kill you, they, it's very hard to get funding for anything or get anyone interested in them. So it is difficult and it becomes frustrating because you can't always give people great answers. And then because you can't give the answers and there's big gaps in information, you know, that's where you get people coming in who just make stuff up and try to sell things. Um, and then it becomes even more confusing. Also, there's this sense of there being a stigma, I suppose, and I'm testament to that because I went through menopause sort of around 40, very early, um, and for a long time, or in fact, I've never really spoken about it because I've been really kind of embarrassed and a bit, you know, it felt to me like I was losing a sense of my uh, womanhood. You know, um, do you think that's a common experience for women to go, Ugh, I don't want to actually even acknowledge this is happening because who even am I now? Yeah, look, a lot of women do. And, you know, I've had people that don't even want to tell their own family that they're having menopause. But really, 10% of women go through menopause before 45, 1% of women before age 40. 
And when I was going through medical school, we were told, well, you know, early menopause before 40 is really rare. It's 1%. But when you think about it, one in 100 women, that's, that's actually very common. Mm. That's a lot of women. You know, so there's a lot of women who are having this experience. Um, and I think, you know, we do need to kind of change the, the way we think about it in that it's often tied with, well, you know, either womanliness or sexuality or being able to reproduce. And I think because we've still got that sort of cultural hangover of, you know, the main use of a woman is to have babies. You know, she's a walking uterus or something rather than a, a person with a uterus. Um, so, you know, I think if we can reframe that and it's just part of, you know, part of female existence, then um, that might be helpful. Agree. What would be your one takeaway for our listeners on perimenopause and menopause today? I think that it is very individual and that for some women, you know, it's completely fine. It's not a big deal for them. But for, there are women out there for whom it is really quite debilitating and devastating and we need to recognise that and have some compassion for that and um, and try and get them help where, where possible. Mm. I mean, we again, Tony on Facebook, she says, we still have to work, function, put on a brave front while silently dealing with mental, emotional and physical issues. Um, that feels like a very distinctly female experience. Yeah, look, many of the women I see, they're doing more than is really humanly possible. I mean, they're being asked to do so many different things in so many roles, and then you add menopause on top of it, and it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And it's just another factor that really starts disadvantaging women. You know, if, if you have to give up work early or start cutting down your hours because of you know, what is essentially a really common experience in women's lives because there isn't the available help or information available, you know, then that has implications for the rest of your life and your income earning and all of that sort of thing as well. Yeah, it's, that just just shocks me and makes me so deeply sad. Um, I have one more very quick question from Facebook. Kristen is asking, do you recommend any of the natural cream products for hormonal skin dryness? Uh, no. 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 <laughs> In a word, no. Don't go there, Kristen. Well, I want to say thank you so much, uh, Rosie, for your time this morning and for you, just the wealth of information that you bring. And also thank you so much to Jean Hales for Women's Health. What an extraordinary organisation Jean is. And you were telling us earlier that uh, Jean Hales, the Jean Hales, was the first person to open a menopause clinic in Australia in 1971. If I got my facts straight there. Yes, she was a GP and she set up the very first um, menopause clinic in Australia at Monash um, and re really a trailblazer. And I think we sort of forget how far things have come and how difficult that would have been, you know, in the early 70s. So, you know, she really was an incredible woman. And when she died, you know, it was other clinicians that really re admired and respected her so much. And, of course, her family as the um, society big uh, Jean Hales Foundation is now run by her amazing daughter, Janet. So, you know, it's really done incredible work for, for women in Australia. And uh, Shelley, I know you're an ambassador for Jean Hales, so mm -hmm. you're a big fan I also. Am, I am a big fan of their work and you can actually head to their website now and be a part of the Jean Hales Women's Health Week and host an event. So they should really check out that website. There's some amazing medical information about so many things that affect women. 
Yes, so Dr. Rosie, thank you so much for your time this morning. It's just been wonderful. I hope we get you back on soon because you're super, you're super inspiring and you bring you so much great information. Um, and also thank you so much to everyone who joined us in our conversation this morning on Facebook and YouTube and for all of the questions and comments. I'm sorry we didn't get to all of them, but um, it's just been really, really critical conversation and I've loved it. Thanks so much, Rosie. Great, thank you. And I should have said, you know, um, just that the treatment does actually work really well. So that's probably the main take home. You don't have to feel terrible. We don't have to suffer. Mm. That's good news. <laughs> and you know what? If you are putting on weight, reach for the chocolate anyway, because, you know, really the process of ageing is to just become friends with yourself regardless of how you look. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.